At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Commander Shepard, and this is my favorite lore cast on the Citadel. Welcome to the Mass Effect Lorecast, the podcast where we explore the vast universe of lore behind the Mass Effect games. We'll talk about all the details you may have missed, ask the hard questions, and more. Spectres, welcome back to the Mass Effect Lorecast. This is your host, Tom, or Robots, and I'm here as usual with N7, the legend himself. Welcome back. And seven. How's it going, man? How's your week been? It's been good. It's been very busy. You know, of course, the news is picking up, but it's also been busy because I've been trying out some new games. I've yeah. been ramping up my streams of Mass Effect, but also trying Elden Ring. Yeah. And so. uh, somebody's eating chips in the background, it sounds like. I can. Yeah, I can hear that. Yeah. <laughs> You're in a chip factory <laughs> as well. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, dude. I've been playing Elden Ring as well, man. That game's. Uh, I, I just. Oh, dude. I just beat uh, Godfrey. Was the guy with all the grafted oh. arms on him? That's like the first main story boss, right? Yeah, man. Yeah, dude. And I yeah. did it without summoning any friends. I did it all on mm. my own and I kicked his butt after like 20 tries, but I actually I kicked his butt. And this is not the Elden Ring lore cast, although that sounds like an amazing show to make. Uh, I, I'm, this is not a hint. I'm not doing that. I just launched the, the Lord of the Rings lore cast that's taking up all my extra time. But who knows? Maybe someday we'll have to do one of those or maybe somebody else should join the the rocket club or something and start that show that would be awesome but anyway um yeah that elder ring's been awesome been loving it I, I love me some souls games and the difficulty is one of the things that is enjoyable and also pulls all your hair out but uh we'll talk about we'll talk about more elden ring uh, later on after the show but anyway what are we talking about this week so today, um, as some may have guessed, given the direction that we were headed with Andromeda episodes, today we're going to address another uh, significant group in Andromeda that gives rise to a power dynamic critical to the story and leads to multiple sub-factions. Uh, I'm going to call them sub-factions because we'll get into it. It's They're not exactly large. Got it. Um, and, uh, and on another quick note, this is something I, I skipped over because I got so distracted by Elden Ring. Uh, although we're talking about Andromeda, Andromeda today, it was recently a different game, game's 10th birthday. Mass Effect 3, happy birthday. You're a big, Indeed you're a big 1-0. Happy birthday, Mass Effect 3 came out March 6th, uh, 2012. And I don't know about you, but I actually remember what I did for the release. I stood in line at this mall uh, called Easton Mall in Columbus, Ohio. And I stood in line at a GameStop until wow. midnight the night before. And I remember I was there with my buddy Tyler. It was a great time. You know, I was, how old was I? Uh, I think I was uh, 17 or 18. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So, and uh, yeah, and there was a terrible cosplay there. Oh, I'm not nice. gonna say what it was, but it wasn't that well done. And I, I, I still felt like, you know what? Props to that person for having the courage. <laughs> good, good for you. You probably shouldn't have been wearing that in public, but you've got a lot of confidence. 
Right. Yeah. Um, That's awesome. I remember malls. And happy birthday, Mass Effect 3. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, malls seem like a thing of the past now. Isn't that bizarre? Yeah, it's not Um, really so much of a thing. There's only a few of those that are still like alive and healthy anymore. But anyway, yeah, uh, yeah, let's let's talk about some of these sub factions. Right. Yeah, we're we're talking specifically about the initiatives exiles, more of what I would say is a loose grouping of people not wanting to live under the Andromeda initiative authority. I wouldn't really call the exiles any organized faction per se, but we'll get there. All right. So, um, Milky Way colonists became exiles because of a series of events following the Andromeda Initiative's first arrival in the Helios Cluster, when a lack of resources, a dark energy storm, an opaque decision-making process and leadership, and the general stress of survival all came to a fever pitch. And they all really influenced uh, a portion of the Milky Way colonists to rebel against the initiative's command. Okay, so it sounds like for Andromeda that this is a pretty impactful story arc. Uh, uh, arc. <laughs> arc, yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Love it, yes. Uh, yes, uh, uh, that, that will be my pun of the day. Uh, anyway, uh, yes. This is <laughs> definitely impactful for Andromeda. It is uh, probably understated in terms of the entire game's relevance like i don't i don't really think that the game does a good job of explaining how impactful this is for the entire andromeda initiative and uh for the pathfinder going forward and um it sets up basically all of the divisions that we witness on kadara the exiles and and their arc and whatnot Mm -hmm. um It's also the subject of a book called Mass Effect Andromeda Nexus Uprising. This like the rebellion off of the uh, off of the Nexus and then the subsequent people who are exiled from there is a prequel, a direct prequel to Mass Effect Andromeda, much like Mass Effect Revelation is a prequel to Mass Effect one. And and you've heard me. Mm -hmm. I've spoken a lot about how much I love Mass Effect Revelation. I haven't read Mass Effect Andromeda Nexus Uprising. I'm sure it's amazing. Um, But from what I understand, the lore in that book is just as equally critical for understanding the subsequent game uh, as Mass Effect Revelation is. Yeah, yeah. Well, it it seems like a trend where they they set up the games with a book that creates some sort of foundation for stuff that they didn't necessarily have an opportunity to explain in the games themselves. Yeah, I'm wondering, uh, at least in Drew Karpishan's case, I'm wondering how much was like, "Mm, man, I really wanted to be able to throw this in the game, but we just couldn't fit it in there somehow. So he just maybe took notes and and emails and things that he had developing the the lore of the game and then put them into a book form. Maybe that's what happened. Right, right. I can imagine that, especially with with games that are this big and this broad, that there's a lot of stuff that just kind of falls on the cutting room floor. There's a lot of these oh, concepts yeah. and, and pieces that you you I'm, I know that th- a lot of times these writers have it's that I don't know if you feel this way and you might because you're a reporter and, and you're a writer, too. Um, and I'm I'm the kind of personality that when when there's something in my head and I want somebody else to know that information, I want them to know it completely. Like, I feel like if I. If I know something, then I get joy out of explaining and sharing all of my knowledge in a complete way and putting everything in my brain and and depositing it in somebody else. And I want them to understand it the way I understand it. Does that make sense? And if I and if I don't do that clearly or in a way that actually takes what I have and shares it completely, then I haven't done my job correctly. Like I'm I'm shortcutting you. I'm not giving you everything. And so therefore I'm not giving you enough. Does right. that make it's sense? It's not the full truth. It's not the full yeah. truth. Like it's, it's my job yeah. to give you everything I know in order for you to have the same understanding I do. Otherwise you won't enjoy it as much as I do. It's like, it's that kind of thing. It's, it's, it's an act of giving for you to, if you're going to understand this game and, and love it as, as much as I do, then I, sh- I need to explain it in the way that I understand it so that you can enjoy it the, the way I enjoy it. It's, and, and th- that doesn't always 
work for everybody, but that's kind of my feeling for that. And I have a feeling that a lot of writers feel that way too. So when something gets cut out of a game, there's probably that feeling of like, oh, but they're not going to enjoy this quest as much if they don't know X, Y, and Z. So let's put that in a book so that they can understand those things too. So that when they play through that quest, now they're going to get the whole story. That was a long way of saying that, but well, yeah, I, I would tend to agree. I mean, I don't, I don't particularly write fiction, um, but I do feel that um, I do feel that writers have a tendency to to view any any stone being unturned as a failure of communication. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. You never, you never want that. I mean, it's hard enough to convey meaning, uh, like subtle meaning in writing, um, that sometimes we, uh, just overspeak, but, uh, and sometimes there's just not enough time to, to put, to put everything in. I mean, hell yeah. there's been so many podcasts that we've had, uh, where I wanted to go multiple different directions with the topic, but I just realized we weren't going to be able to get there because I mean, there's just not enough time. Yeah, and sometimes there's just not enough there's like you said there you just can't get into the nuance in a way clear enough uh, i don't know we could go, we could do a whole episode about the limitations of language and communication but sometimes yeah. you just don't have the the faculty to to express the nuance concisely and clearly enough so that everybody can understand it um it's just the limitations of, of language sometimes and we'll we'll dive more into that you know mass effect andromeda uh book when we recap the external media in in future podcasts we'll we'll get a little bit more into that then um so i don't want to spoil too much about that book but we are going to be discussing you know a large theme of the book today uh so it is very important in the mass effect andromeda timeline to understand why the colonists rebelled why did they you know like have this uprising well to understand that we got to go back a little bit um so you remember i think it was either last week or no no i think it was two weeks ago we talked a little bit about the scourge and when we're talking about the andromeda initiative we talked about how different planets and everything could be in in from the 600 years it takes to survey the planets to the 600 you know 600 years later when you arrive in andromeda how how much change could occur right um well the initiative's journey is kind of borked from the get-go and the nexus arrives first the nexus uh is supposed to be this new citadel an administrative hub from which colonies launch and they can coordinate these cross-colony policies and defense and you know it's an administrative hub um and it almost it housed almost all or most of if not all of the andromeda initiatives administrators so all of the big wigs all of all of everyone like that they were on the nexus as i understand and then each of the arcs had their own big wigs but it wasn't quite to the extent that the nexus was okay uh the nexus had project leads and the nexus is this massive space station and when it gets there uh to andromeda it collides with the scourge the dark energy storm and this this devastates the station like it it rips apart parts of the station there's tons of damage like immense amounts of death and a lot of the people who uh died included upper management i mean excuse me leadership uh, because you know <laughs> right because it was like corporate endeavor this. right yeah, right right yeah. yeah yeah corporate endeavor and we we ragged enough on how the andromeda initiative is overly corporate so i won't get back into that um but more or less the founder of the or the founder of the andromeda initiative and the leader of the project jan garson she's found dead and like we spoke about uh, a few episodes ago when we covered the andromeda initiative um she was she was likely she was murdered and likely assassinated by the benefactor by the mysterious benefactor but that's not what people think at first at first people think that well we just hit the scourge a lot of people died jan garson was in the nexus probably you know scourge resulted in her death somehow simplest explanation is usually right so it was probably that sure right and it was already a dark energy storm that no one seemed to understand right you know who knows what this can do um yeah and uh you know the line of succession for leadership is completely shattered uh it's you know it it is it is shattered to the point where and when i say it's corporate you know 
corporatocracies are often um uh, like, like like they're autocracies and so there's a line of succession like that with one person at the top well this goes down to the eighth person in line mm-hmm. it's kind of like on Gar- battle battlestar galactica where like the head of education ends up becoming the president <laughs> yeah right yeah or um my fellow americans very obscure reference i'm not sure if anyone in, in chat gets that but it's an old movie with jack lemon and uh i can't remember his first name but gardner uh anyway uh very obscure reference if you get it you get it if you don't you don't uh but it goes to this guy who is an acerbic number cruncher who no one really likes and he doesn't really have great communication skills uh so it's jaron tan a salarian mm-hmm. and it's actually voiced by the guy who uh, I can't remember his name right now, but he was in Silicon Valley. Uh, Kumail, uh, I think is his first name. Oh, yeah, yeah. You Na- mentioned him on the, yeah, the previous yes. episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's director Tan. And he plays that role so well because Tan is not likable in the game. <laughs> and and he's totally a financial number cruncher guy that does not know how to communicate with anyone but he's supposed to be the ceo of this project and so leadership is more or less decapitated uh and the planned central hub for all of the arcs is fraught with problems from scourge damage and Mm -hmm. so i have a few questions you know immediately um did the initiative plan on having to make such enormous repairs probably not right because how would you plan for a storm you don't understand well also i mean that seems like catastrophic repairs like how do you plan for catastrophic repairs right like i would that is a new level of redundancy right like i i would expect that you would plan for you know maintenance and you know a certain level of just keeping things running but you know entire systems falling apart and massive levels of death is like that's that's a level of you know there, there's no way of you know like oh we're just gonna tack on another 50 percent of the space station on top of itself just in case half of the ship falls off mm-hmm. like y- you can't plan for that no no you, you can't like when you're making a 600 year journey you really <laughs> got to cut out all the non-essentials right yeah 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 um, so, and you know, did they keep extra duct tape on hand? I don't think so. <laughs> not that much. Um, not, not that much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now the repairs, they could be done quicker with a steady stream of resources, but, and from, from any colonies, but there's two problems here because the Nexus just arrived. They're walking into a completely undeveloped cluster, mm-hmm. or at least so they thought. Right. Complete undeveloped by any Milky Way species. So it's not like they can stop at a gas station and be like, hey, you got any uh, tools in there? No, there's none of that going on. Mm -hmm. There's no existing logistics or mining infrastructure. And so they would have to make it. But the first people to be woken up when they arrived in the Helios cluster were only the very critical administrators and other key personnel. Very small group of people. Yeah and the golden worlds that they were told would be perfect for habiting did not turn out to be so golden uh because of the scourge because of a number of other problems with the ket and radiation on some worlds um these worlds changed during the 600 year voyage so this complicates a lot of issues with the repairs and whatnot and now all of a sudden they're kind of they have to be self-sustaining but they were never supposed to be Mm self-sustaining big problem you know so now nexus leadership is in way over their heads and i got to make a quick comment here probably underqualified too these are people that are working in corporate you know corporate milky way for oh yeah or for worse yeah these are the people who would not survive the zombie apocalypse no right the people Um, who survived the zombie apocalypse are the people who are like the blue collar workers who have been working tough jobs their whole entire lives who know how to like you know duct tape pieces of wrenches and saws together in order to cut the zombies down and know how to like repair a car engine in order to like drive out of town not the stockbroker and the ceo of the local company who have never worked in a garage in their entire lives right yeah for real um and that's who they need in this situation are the people who are going to be able to like repair the ship with their hands right and those people haven't been woken up right um right (laughs) and 
I have to doubt the leadership, Nexus leadership's um, recruiting abilities, and we'll get into a little bit of that later in this episode and the next episode. Um, but more or less, they constantly surround themselves with people who I have no idea how they ended up in those positions <laughs> that they ended up in. Cor- corporatocracy. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. The Peter, the <laughs> Peter principle. They were given you know raises to the point of their own in. Uh, com- whatever the word is, uh, I lose words. Uh, thanks, migraine medicine. Um, Self-importance. Yeah, their own inability to actually, you know, actually do anything in that pos- pos- position. Um, incompetency yeah. to their level of incompetency. Inco- anyway, so Director Tan decides, in his infinite wisdom, uh, let's wake up more experts from Cryo. <laughs> we need. <laughs> That's we, we need more. We need more cooks. We, need- we don't need more servers. Let's wake up more cooks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. We need we need more hands on deck and maybe they will know what to do. I'm simplifying things and I'm paraphrasing here for the sake of brevity. But um, yeah, that's more or less the rationale, I think. So they bring more of these experts out of cryo. But the problem is that this means more mouths to feed. Mouths to feed with food they don't have, with mm-hmm. resources they don't have. <laughs> and so Tan enacts rationing after a couple of different colonies, a couple of different outposts on these supposed golden worlds don't pan out. Um, and there's a couple of different outposts that fail on Eos because of Ket, the Ket, we've gone over them, uh, the Borg, uh, yeah. and radiation. So there's natural, natural occurring uh, hazards as well, which is really putting uh, all of this together, all the scourge damage, the decapitated leadership, the failed outposts is putting the squeeze on the nexus. And these the leadership, again, is not they're in way over their heads. And it, this is make or break. This is survival, right? This, this, yeah. Yeah. There's no going home at the end of this day and being like, well, I guess I lost my 401k, but hey, I'm alive. Right, right. I'm going to go live with my parents. See you guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, there's not even that. And uh, so, so, you know, there's understandably, there's a growing amount of discontent among the populace that is awake on the Nexus. And Tan is not transparent about the decisions that Tan is going to make. You know, not even with his co-administrators. Uh, He's not transparent. Mm-hmm. And I highly doubt that he puts out a newsletter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. And even if he did, he wouldn't be transparent. It would just be like, doesn't seem like it would just be guy. corporate BS. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, that's the interesting thing with Tan. He's not even interested in the corporate BS. Like he's just going to stick to protocol and like, and screw PR entirely. Um, <laughs> I can't even imagine. Um, but you know, he decides to stick to protocol. He regularly leaves his security director, Sloan Kelly, and his superintendent, Nack Morkesh, out of key decisions. These are people that should probably be in the room. Right. There's a reason why you have these people working with you. It's because they're like you have other hired experts, like any good leader knows that they need to surround themselves with other people who fill in their lack of knowledge with expert knowledge about the things they don't know so that they can rely on them. Right, right. Part of good leadership, in my opinion, is knowing what to do with the intel once you have it, not knowing all the intel. Right. And knowing what you don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. Um, Tan seems, uh, you know, reticent to embrace that. But that's that's another discussion in, in which we, we can talk about Tan all day. Um, but Tan acts regardless of what others would want, it seems. I don't doubt Tan's intentions here. I just doubt his his competence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't think that I would be the only one, given that there are so many who are growing so unhappy with the state of things on the Nexus, the fact that they're barely hearing anything. And when they are hearing things, it's like, hold on, what's going on? Because there's dwindling food, there's scarce resources, and there's even less now that they've poured resources into funding two outposts that failed. And so Tan makes this crucial choice. You know what? Let's just put everyone back in the cryo and t- to conserve resources. <laughs> Do you think people are really going to want to go back into cryo? No, no, no. We just Hell woke no. up. <laughs> no. So 
it doesn't it doesn't help uh and and the worst part is that he doesn't under, seem to understand why others wouldn't want that <laughs> that's the crazy part so this is the boiling point that is reached for outspoken dissidents and a group of people and 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 they rebel you know and this this group of rebels is led by by a turian former engineer calix corvanus so this is all this is all before the human arc um hyperion even gets there yeah yeah this this happens all before the player character even starts the game in mass effect andromeda yeah this is the situation that has transpired before Ryder ever talks to tan man man this is so this is a total mess that they're coming into so um well i'm interested to hear more about what goes on with this but we need to take a quick break and thank our patrons so we'll be right back I am so excited about our sponsor this week, Marvel Strike Force. I freaking love Marvel Comics. Growing up, I collected comics and the trading cards, and I've seen pretty much every Marvel movie they've made so far. So if you're into Marvel like I am, go check out Marvel Strike Force. This is a mobile squad RPG. You can collect and unlock all the different heroes. You fight against supervillains. There's a campaign. There's a blitz mode. There's an arena. There's a constantly evolving meta. And right now they're celebrating the Deadpool anniversary event. This is a mission from Strike where you log in the first time and you unlock this generous gift containing character shards, a anniversary diamond orb gear a bunch of other items it is absolutely the right time to jump in and try this game out click the link in the show notes to download it now and then use the promo code maxpool m-a-x-p-o-o-l maxpool don't miss out on all the free stuff and thanks again to marvel strike force for sponsoring this episode at parker our purpose is simple we want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently by using more sustainable practices By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Message coming in. Patching it through. I am sovereign, and this station is mine. I like the sound of that. All right, so here we are in the middle of the show. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and thank you to our brand new patrons. We've got uh, some new pledges, including uh, Commander Shanko, Teacup92, and Stephen P. Thank you for signing up on the Patreon. You guys are the best. Genuinely, I, I said that in a very funny voice, but I do mean it genuinely. Uh, uh, Sam and I very much appreciate the support. This does help. Uh, this, this is my career creating podcasts, and this is a big uh, extra thing that Sam does aside from his his main job. And it's a big support because it helps us make sure that we can keep doing this as a part of our regular thing. And it definitely supports us and helps with our uh, our finances and, and keeps things going for us. But a big thank you to you guys. A big thank you to our Commander Shepard tier five patrons, Hool the Fool, Apollo and Pipe Man. Thank you for being here and supporting the show. And to all 45 of our patrons right now. Thank you to all of you guys. And uh, if we've done anything to help you guys get through your work day, your workout, your drive to work, or going out to dinner and thinking that you weren't going to make it in time for a podcast, but you got back anyway, because the server was just on it tonight. 
man, she just brought that food so fast and then she got you the check and then everything was super good and you didn't have to worry even though your wife got back really, really late from work, but you were still able to, able to get that Euro platter from the from the Greek place that you like to go to on occasion. Man, it was really good. And then you did the podcast anyway, and sometimes you felt like you had to burp up some Euro meat, but like it's, you just held down because you're on a podcast and you didn't want to burp on a podcast. Then go check out patreon.com slash Mass Effect Lorecast, if that sounds like something that you just went through while listening to a podcast, for all the different tiers where you can sign up and get ad-free episodes for like tier one or sign up for tier four and join us on a future episode of the show and get like t-shirts and stuff or tier three and get stickers and all sorts of other fun stuff. Um, so yeah, uh, we really do appreciate the support. Also, uh, there's all sorts of other ways that you can help support us, including telling your friends or rating and reviewing the show on Apple or Spotify. And uh, Sam, I, I see here you in the notes that you wrote that we are currently at 193 ratings on Spotify. Yeah, yeah, we are 193. That surprised me too. Uh, and the, the, the impressive point of that, you know, we could have 193 ratings and have like a two star rating <laughs> on That's average. True. That would That's not be true. good. That would not um, be good. <laughs> but instead, it is 4.9 stars. That's our average rating. Wow. You know what that means? That means that we'd still need everybody to give us five stars, but we will never be at a five star rating. <laughs> it means statistically, yeah, it's not St- ever going to be possible now. <laughs> Unless at some point they just round up. I feel like they do. At some point? Like, I've seen five star ratings. So, I mean, at some point they got to round up, right? Like, yeah. I mean, yeah. I wonder what that point is. Like, if, if we, like, maybe we have like one four star and like the rest of them are five. I don't know. We can't tell. But at some point, it's, it's it just nudges like just a little it's bit the, just kind of just like, oh. the one four stars the german judge <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't know man but uh thank you for everybody for your support and um also remember that you can always join us on the robots radio discord and we'd love to hear your thoughts on each of the episodes even if you're listening to old episodes and you you know have some thoughts on, an, on a topic we haven't talked about recently we're always happy to ch- chat with you guys and the community is awesome anyway let's get on with the rest of the show here we go Spit it out, or are you trying to build suspense? You're so dense, sir. Obviously, I do not know as much about human relationships as I thought. All right, so, Sam, what happens with the rebellion? So, the messaging resonates with a lot of people. Uh, the messaging that Calix is sending out about being, you know, <laughs> I imagine it's not that hard. Like, we're hungry. Leadership doesn't know what the hell they're doing. This is ridiculous. <laughs> I'm not going back into cryo. You know, time for a change. This messaging resonates with a lot of people. And the movement spreads, leading to a huge portion of the Nexus not recognizing leadership's authority as legitimate. Do we know how many of them think that way like do we have a sense of that not that i know of uh to be honest you know i there are still a couple of books that i need to read uh so i'm sure someone if someone's better versed in the andromeda books will listen to this and and let us know um but i haven't seen any designations that would indicate whether the rebels are a majority uh but that's also hard to say given how many people were still in cryo at the time yeah yeah a lot of people just aren't aware because they're not awake Right, right. And and judging on gameplay, the rebels were a small group, but they were big and loud enough to cause unrest and to kind of put a dent in the Andromeda initiatives plans once they left. (laughs) I feel like this is a a thing that happens in our own world often with the Internet. You know, like the vocal minority is as long as you're loud enough to make it seem like it's a big deal, then that might be enough. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's definitely. Um, And, you know, even before the advent of the Internet, long before the advent of the Internet, the times where where populism prevailed, but when it was being perpetrated by small vocal minority political groups. And by the way, when we say minority, we don't mean, you know, racial minority. We mean political minority. Right, Um, right, right. Right. When uh, when it was prime example is, you know, and it's going to be overplayed, but the prime example that I can think of is the National Socialist Party pre-World War Two. 
They were able to seize a lot of power, even though they were a minority political party. Yeah. They were never a majority party. So it's important for us to remember these kinds of things. Um, I'm not, I'm not likening the Andromeda uh, exiles or rebels <laughs> to Nazis at all. I'm just right. saying that the concept of the concept of uh, a minority group being able to influence total, like the majority have, have a, a, a larger effect than it, it seems like they would actually be able to have based on their numbers. Definitely. It just, saying. it just, yeah. it, it, that's why, that's why freedom of expression, freedom of speech is so important. Right. Because right. your voice matters and how loud you are when you say something matters and you say it often and loud enough, people are going to wonder what the ruckus is about. Right. Right. Um, so. So was there, was there a, did they come up with a method to put down the rebellions? Yeah. Yeah, they did. And uh, the initiative leadership's solution, let's awaken the Krogan. <laughs> Wake the Krogan. It sounds close enough to Kraken that it sounds pretty cool. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Wake the Krogan. Uh, and, and if this sounds familiar to Mass Effect fans, um, that's because it is. And I think we know where this is going at this point. Oh, you have a problem? Krogan solution. Bring in the Krogan. We'll just point them in a direction and say, crush it. Go. Yeah. Um, it's always something new with these motherfuckers, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, it's always something old when it comes to Solarian leadership and seeking the Krogan for problems to their or solutions to their problem. Mm -hmm. uh, but beyond, before we get into that part, Foster Addison, the colonial affairs director with the Andromeda Initiative, sends her assistant, William Spender, by the way, absolute scumbag, but one of the most underrated, well-written characters in the whole game, in my opinion, uh, because sometimes there are characters who are absolutely detestable or pathetic, mm -hmm. but the way they're written is like so delicious. Oh, you know yeah. What I mean, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A yeah. well-written character that you hate is still a well-written character. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yes. Important point. Um, this William Spender is kind of like the Peter Baelish of mm, the Andromeda okay. Initiative yeah. Uh, yeah. for all the Game of Thrones fans out there. Right. And so Addison or Foster Addison sends uh, William Spender, her assistant, to get the newly awakened Krogan warriors to cooperate. And in turn, Spender makes this deal where Spender promises Nakmore Morda, the leader of uh, Clan Nakmore, a position as chief of staff if the clan helps quell the Krogan rebellions or not the Krogan rebellions. It's so similar that it's yeah, like I'm, yeah. I'm literally crossing wires in my head. Um, if they help quell the Nexus rebellions. Right, right. And the Krogan do. Oh, okay. <laughs> and as predicted, a bloody path is carved into the ranks of the fellow colonists. That includes Calix. And Calix was, you know, rather well liked by numerous people. So those left standing are not happy, but they are given a choice. Go back into cryostasis or leave. <laughs> and that's a hell of a choice because it's like, leave, go where? Go where? Yeah. Just where find a planet. Go? Find a planet and just like start building fires and tents. Like, I don't know. I'm just imagining Tan saying, I don't care where you go, but you can't stay here. Right. Like get out of my bar. Yeah. 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 Um, and Tan doing it as a, with a uh, typically cold demeanor as Tan so often delivers. Um, but this is, you know, this is a problem. Um, so the Krogan have been awakened. The uh, rebels have the rebel uprising has been put down. Calix has been killed along with plenty of other rebels. Um, and Sloan Kelly wasn't consulted in the Krogan choice. This is important because Sloan Kelly was the security's head, head of security with the Andromeda Initiative. And the head of security wasn't even consulted about waking up these, this clan of Krogan and enlisting them as a brute force to quell the uprising. Yeah. Seems like this is the most relevant person to include in this conversation. Right. Right. And seems like and they she would be wasn't. totally pissed about not being included. Yeah. She was, she was pissed. She yeah. was pissed. Um, so she defects and she uh, joins the other side. She forms a faction and decides to steal Ket shipments when they go hungry. 
This is after she she defects, she leaves with the exiles, and she forms a faction and then hits these Ket uh, convoys. She and her faction eventually settle on Kadara, and they kick out some occupying Ket there. Um, now, some exiles, you not know, don't bad. really like. <laughs> not not a bad setup. <laughs> yeah. Um, some exiles don't really like Sloane's rigid uh, leadership, her carrier weight uh, style, and if we're being honest, sometimes downright brutal style. So they join or form their own factions. Uh, and this is ironically probably how the Angara made first contact with the Milky Way races. It wasn't with the Andromeda Initiative because the Angara already know that the Milky Way races are there by the time Ryder meets them. So they, they come across a bunch of little squabbling rebel groups. And yes, you're right. So it's like, man, you guys are totally not organized and you're all pissed off at each other. These are the new people visiting our galaxy. Great. Oh, don't worry about it. We got kicked out. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> you guys seem like you're totally you totally got everything covered. You're totally with it great they're uh they're putting their their comrades heads on pikes why are they doing that <laughs> so lord yeah. of the flies is visiting us wonderful yeah they're huge uh classic literature fans. <laughs> they're, they're um, passing a conch around taking turns yeah great <laughs> yeah they, and this is this is how they make first contact um though it could have been worse you know maybe they're maybe they're fans because sloan's rebels and her group kicked out the cat from kadara so some angara probably happy about that at least initially yeah um and yet this is and, and it's interesting too because back up a couple episodes to when we were talking about the initiative and when they did make first contact with the angara and the angaran resistance tan likes to congratulate Ryder depending on how the initiative makes first contact but tan makes it look like to Ryder that um, this is the official recognized first contact mm. The previous one, you know, it didn't count. But in all likelihood, Tan knows, you know, Tan knows the rebels uh, yeah. were conversing with the Angara. But that's beside the point. Don't pay attention um, to that Leif Erikson. He doesn't really count. Columbus is our man. Yeah, yeah. That exact concept. Yeah. Um, and, and speaking of the Krogan who put down the rebellions this is you know a totally unforeseen circumstance that no one would ever guess happens to the krogan when the rebellions put down uh morda wants that deal with spender honored and tan surprised because spender didn't bring it up and spender denies ever promising anything of the sort so tan refuses to honor the deal this is also because if we're being deadly honest tan is pretty racist against the krogan mm -hmm. And Tan has made remarks here and there where it's like, whoa, dude, <laughs> you got a problem. Um, but Tan refuses to honor the deal. And then most of the Krogan end up leaving to settle their own colony. So they willfully leave. They become exiles. They uh, settle the new colony named tu New Tuchanka on Elodin. And so once again, we see in the Mass Effect universe, this time in a different galaxy uh that the krogan are manipulated and used to put down a rebellion and then they're ostracized for wanting too much in return Ugh. you think they'd learn you think you think we'd learn from history everybody yes yeah. because not yeah that i i don't and lo and behold a Solarian is the director of of the initiative at that time. Yeah. So yeah, uh, yeah. So it you know it turns out uh, Spinder, by the way, was playing both sides. We find out later that Spinder actually supplied credits to the rebels too. <laughs> Jeez, and 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 actively you know like coordinated with them to keep the conflict going and then spender was privately planning on just picking the winning faction and being like i was part of your team all along right well you know it's you bet on both sides and you never never lose yeah until you do until until you do until somebody finds out and then it's just like you two-faced son of a okay so so at the beginning of the episode you mentioned the exiles ended up uh forming multiple factions that they did that they did um you know the exiles are not an organized group 
It's just a people, it's a group, it's a name given to the people who left either left willingly or, you know, were kicked out of the nexus. And their real only unifying quality is that they opposed the Andromeda Initiative's authority. And so the factions that end up forming from exiles are actually more akin to gangs more often than not. Um, given that Kadara is one of the critical junctures where these gangs meet, you could probably make an entire movie and call it Gangs of Kadara. <laughs> gangs of New York, by the way, per, uh, great movie, unless uh, if, if anyone's not seen it yet. Uh, I don't know how you would have gone without seeing it this long. <laughs> but uh, It includes multiple groups, by the way, the gangs that, that I'm mentioning. And those groups include the outcasts. Hey, yeah. The, <laughs> hey yeah uh the collective the three sabers the krogan and a generic rogue outlaws group which in my opinion only serves to be another variety of enemies it's they just call them outlaws uh-huh uh-huh so yeah. the outlaws i'm sorry the outcasts <laughs> Hey, yeah, yeah. let me some sugar. I am your neighbor and the collective. So who are, who are they? So those are two groups who you remember, I just mentioned Sloan Kelly, mm -hmm. the faction that she forms is called the outcasts and the collective is led by a very mysterious figure who is called the charlatan. And so the, the collective opposes the outcasts on Kadara. So there becomes a new power dynamic on a different planet away from the initiative. Uh, but who couldn't, who doesn't like outcast? <laughs> well, uh, given the, how the outcasts <laughs> act in Mass Effect Andromeda, probably a lot of people. Uh, okay. But, okay. We're talking about the but game. But right? that um, dynamic that is something that we will talk about in the next episode. All right. Sounds good, man. So this is, I, I like how everything is kind of falling apart into each of these groups. This is cool. Um, but thank you everybody for listening. We're going to uh, wrap this episode up. And um, just a reminder, we're doing the whole two episodes every week thing. So we will be wrapping this episode up. And this is the live show. If you're tuning in for the live show, we will be going right into the next episode. And if you are listening to this on your downloader thing, then you will be getting an extra episode this week, week later in the week. Did I say weep? Anyway. I've been talking already for, for a long time tonight, but we've still got another episode to do. But uh, Sam, you got anything cool going on you want to share before we head out? Yeah, I do. Um, I am streaming Saturdays, Mondays, and Thursdays. Saturdays is Sassy Ship Saturdays. I'm nearing the end of Mass Effect 1, about to finish Mass Effect 1 and then jump into Mass Effect 2, of course, on my very first Femship playthrough. Mondays rotating slew doing elden ring right now and throwback thursdays i'm thinking about starting a new dragon age playthrough although this is going to be my first dragon age playthrough ever nice um, if you're interested in catching any of those give me a follow on twitch at in seven the legend uh same handle on twitter and instagram Awesome. Awesome. And uh, I just launched the Lord of the Rings Lorecast. You can get that on whatever podcatcher you're listening to this on. So go ahead and just search that and uh, go ahead and subscribe. It's free. And I just dropped episode two today, that being Monday when we're recording this. So two episodes describing all of the background of the world, starting with the creation of everything and just going from there through forward through time all the way to the destruction of the one ring. And it's, it's going awesome. I'm having a, a blast talking about the Lord of the Rings. It's the reason why I'm into all of this nerdy, you know, sci-fi and fantasy stuff. Um, but go check that out. And uh, I'm also raising money to help people in Ukraine because some total total asshole over in Russia decided that he wanted to kill a bunch of people and try to take their land and man I hope that that never happens to anybody but that totally sucks and there's a lot of people over there who need medical attention so we're raising money and I started this about a week and a half ago and I just decided you know what let's see if our community wants to chip in some money and I'll match the first hundred dollars that's uh that's raised we'll see if we can raise a hundred bucks and uh as of Tonight, when we started during the Witcher lore cast, which we did before this, it was at like 529 bucks already tonight. Thanks to uh, Toasty, Rob the Princess and Blix of the Cat, we're up to $799. Holy crap. So if you guys want to help contribute some money to help save some lives, you just want to give up a coffee or two 
Anything will help. There is a link in the show notes. Um, you can also go to the Robots Radio Discord, look in the announcements channel there for the link. I'm just going to keep on running this until this is for Project Hope, by the way. This is a very legitimate, trusted source where you can donate money and they're going to you know, send over medical supplies for people in need. So that's what we got going on. And we'll see you guys next on the next episode. So don't go anywhere. And uh, thanks for being here, everybody. Until next time, don't send Krogan's off to kill people because it's probably going to start terrible things and then they're going to feel used and then that never works out very well. All right. We'll see you guys next time. Bye, everybody. Thanks for tuning into the Mass Effect Lorecast. We'd love to hear your opinion and thoughts on the lore of Mass Effect. Reach out to us on Twitter at Mass Effect Cast or check out the Robots Radio Discord. Also, you can send us an email at MassEffectLorecast at gmail.com. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.